0: You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from Prop Tech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. Tech Ness is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host Nate Smoyer. I can't believe I'm going to say this but I really enjoyed this conversation and we were talking about well the majority of the time we're talking about the office space and um, I've got Andrew Farrow. He's the co-founder and CEO of uh, Density IO. Density as he describes it, is building a radar system that tracks people. You know, before we get all weirded out, it's not like a Facebook pixel, it's not like literally tracking individuals, it's all anonymized, um, but it's for the purpose of understanding utilization of space. And we there's so many different avenues to go down in this episode, and really tried to hone in on just a few. We talk about is Density a hardware or software company? Because they're both producing cutting-edge software, API, access, you know, and they've got their own hardware where it has to get installed into a building. It requires power so that you have all those logistics and they have to sell both to big companies. We talk about how the pandemic has affected the business. Was it a headwind, tailwind, and what are they learning from companies about back to office? What are companies seeing? And how has that affected both workplace teams as well as like real estate operations teams where previously they were just go get the building or just make sure people are happy. But now do they have a responsibility to financial reporting? Can they more directly impact and report towards the bottom line and totally changes their position inside an organization? A lot baked in here. I think you're going to love the founding story behind this startup. Um, Hint, it has to do with a coffee shop and just measuring the people online. Let's jump to it. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here and um, fun to learn that you, uh, well, you've got some roots from the DC area. I always like getting to share with other people that I got to live there, experience life in that area. There was a burrito man, that's what we called him because we didn't know his name on k street that I used to go to, and he would like had like the best routine in making this the street burrito. I don't know if you if you happen to know who I'm talking about I don't, but what was the was there like a technique or something? he just had a whole thing about him his like his, his, like there was a line to just go to the burrito man he was just so nice and he had a way of upselling you that felt good. Like, yes, it was $12 for a burrito, but you just felt really good going to that guy to get that burrito. Well,
1: Is this like a three-time, is this like a multiple times per week kind of burrito man that you were visiting? Or is this like a special occasion? Or? No, I didn't have that much
0: money at the time. I was an unpaid intern. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I'm excited for today's conversation. I think we're going to jump into some things that... Um, Maybe I haven't talked about a whole lot on the show, and I think that uh, you guys are going to stand out from some of our other guests, and um, I'm excited for that, because after 130 some episodes, what's left to talk about in PropTech? And um, I'm here to say that there's a lot, there's still a lot to be talked about. So without further ado, Andrew, please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Um, So my name is Andrew Farah. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Density. And we build um, radar systems that measure how buildings are used, so we anonymously count people in physical space. And we do that for some of the largest companies in the world, um, predominantly focused on large offices, so large corporate workplace. And we turn that data into information that real estate and workplace teams can use to uh, materially consolidate space to redesign the space to improve the critical mass of employees coming back to office and otherwise figure out how people are using
0: you know the the billions of square feet of space that we've invested in or that they've invested in. this is uh so there, there's so much to unpack here and and um I really want to jump it ahead but i'm gonna I'm gonna pull back for a little bit maybe we can get started with the backstory here so you guys get started what 2014 right? Hmm. Okay. So a lot has changed since 2014. 2014, we were actually like definitively out of a recession. We were seeing really an upwards movement, economic activity, companies were investing in new locations, they were building new buildings, the residential housing market was doing pretty well, right? Every three years since, or every two and a half, three years since, has really been some interesting times. But let's go back to the story, the founding story. Like, what made you jump into? Hey, I'm going to build a, as you described, radar system for for tracking people and their movement here.
1: You know, I, a lot of folks will draw connections to sort of like gaslit, um, like origin stories, um. In our case, we were actually trying to figure out how busy our favorite coffee shop was. Um, this is not like a like a tall tale. We, we were just trying to figure out how long the line was because we lived in a part of the country in upstate New York that was really cold in the winter. And so this is when I was in school um, and we would walk like five blocks through the snow and negative 10 with the wind chill only to hit a 20 minute line. And it was just like, this is ridiculous. like. Why is there an API for the weather that we're walking through, but there's not an API for the number of humans in a building five blocks away? Like I can query the weather in Spain from New York, but I can't query the busyness of Cafe Cubal, like, you know, five blocks away. So born predominantly out of laziness. But what's interesting is, um, I don't know how interesting it is, but I actually... Total coincidence, but I grew up in a family um, that uh, ran us a very small construction blasting and excavation company in D.C., and so my parents um, for 40 years um, dug the holes that buildings went into, and they did that with excavators and blasting equipment and all this other stuff, and um, I, I did not expect, you know, 30 uh, 30 some odd years later, uh, to be working on measuring how humans were using the very buildings that, you know, went up after the hole.
0: You could say they laid the foundation. Hey, that's pretty
1: good. I should tell them that the next time. Total coincidence though. Like it wasn't like some, I haven't had some fascination with architecture all my life. I haven't had some fascination with workplace. I'm not from or of real estate. It was really born out of this very simple problem. But when you unpack that, you realize that all cities have essentially been built on an architect's best guess and that for any system of this scale or even remotely close to this scale is kind of an unacceptable way
0: to build or manage an asset. Buildings are massive. So kind of like getting relief from your day to day at a dev shop, you know, you're just wanting to work on this problem of solving how busy is this coffee shop. And then I imagine somewhere you realized, hey, you actually can do this. And you decided, hey, this could be a company, or did someone have to convince you and be like, no, Andrew, this is really cool. Think about the applications."
1: Well, when we first announced what we were doing, we we got somewhere in the range of four to 5,000 emails um, in like a five-day period. And wow. I remember all we had said is that we have built a – we're building. We need, We're just like we're building an anonymous people counter and an API, and it'll it will charge on a per location basis or something. And we were pretty naive back then. Um, but the premise has really not changed much. Is like we build a system that counts people in space and then provides an API so that we can understand use. We now build the software, the tools that actually make use of that. And we focus on a market called workplace and offices. Um, but in amongst those 4,000 emails, we heard from, you know, call it like 20 to 25% of them were from people that run offices. And the more we learn about workplace, the more we learned about how physical buildings worked and how big, the more we realized how big the problem was. And it, it was sort of impossible not to continue working on it.
0: So, okay. So now, now several years later, there's a mature product. Is it still just about tracking long lines or how do you summarize the, the big problem that density is solving for?
1: So our mission is, um, to measure and improve our footprint on the world. So, um, what that practically means is like, you can't improve a system until you've measured it. Um every day you mentioned that back in two thousand fourteen we were building new buildings and like we were squarely out of a recession. Every day as of last year, uh we add eleven thousand three hundred and seventy net new buildings to building supply every day. Wait, I'm sorry, in the US? Globally and in major metros, it includes residential, but it's not any of the suburbs. Um 11,370 net new buildings that's net of churn, net of repurposing every single day. By 2030 that number is going to be north of 13,000. And the utilization rates pre-pandemic were 41% vacant but paid for in the US alone. So you've got this building supply that like people use pretty poorly. <laughs> but we're like constantly adding to it. And so, and the reason for that is that we make decisions based on an architect's best guess instead of actual hard data. And so our our premise is actually pretty simple. Like, and it proves out in the data. If you show real estate and workplace teams how their offices are used, they make changes. Sometimes they shut off floors that aren't being used so that it increases the critical mass of the people that are on the rest of the floors. Sometimes they redesign the spaces based on what is actually getting used. Sometimes they consolidate a building entirely by letting a lease just expire. But um, you can't do those things um, unless you have actual data because the larger the scale of your operation, the, the less visibility you have into how it's used.
0: There was um, a social media company recently where a new owner took charge of you you might know who i'm talking about here uh (laughs) twitter i i I saw elon musk kind of talking about some of these things recently i've obviously i don't know which stats are what and how they figured it out but he was talking about saying that there's more people making food than eating in the cafeteria in the san francisco office based on patterns and but to your point if they and i don't know maybe twitter has uh, I don't know if they're a client or not, or if they have other measurement capabilities in-house, right? But if they weren't measuring that, how could you improve on that or know what those are issues? I have to imagine that that's just one small example of a common challenge amongst companies today and trying to figure out how do they improve their office, but they don't really know where people are at, how people are using things. And I think the even the whole bit of like being hybrid has really thrown a challenge. So I I guess where I want to get to that is, has the pandemic, has that caused a headwind for you guys? Or has that been a a tailwind? Or has that made no change to your business, but also in how people seek out the solutions that you guys have built?
1: Um, So a couple things. Right now, there's really only two things that our customers care about. Number one is surviving a global recession. If indeed... That is what we're in. And number two, um, generating a critical mass of employees returning to office uh, for the properties they decide to keep. And when I say surviving a global recession, I mean that both at the individual, I mean that at all levels. So sometimes that means an individual keeping their job that's surviving a global recession. Sometimes that's my team gets to keep their job that's surviving a global recession. These are the customers that we work with. Sometimes that's a department not getting reorganized. That's surviving a global recession. Sometimes that's like the company doesn't go bankrupt, surviving a global recession. Real estate is a really expensive line item. It's the second most expensive thing next to payroll. And so there's very heavy scrutiny on headcount right now, and there's very heavy scrutiny on real estate. And so as that so weirdly, um, when there's an inverse relationship with the, when, with between the number of people in space and the scrutiny of how people are using it. Meaning when it felt really busy pre-pandemic, there was less concern or urgency to have to measure. But when everybody went home, CFOs started turning to their real estate teams and they're like, yo, um, how many people are coming back? We've got, a, we got 25 million square feet of space at 1% utilization based on badge data like Are people coming back? And the real estate teams are like, honestly, we don't know. We've never been through a pandemic. But we've done some surveys. And CFO goes, no problem. Totally makes sense. Thanks for the data. Out of curiosity, how many people were using the space before the pandemic? And the response from the teams were, you know, we're not entirely sure, but we've done some surveys. And the finance teams collectively sort of said, you've got to be kidding me. This is a billion-dollar asset. It's a $500 million asset. It's a $250 million building. And we don't know how it's used. And the answer is, well, the technology really just hasn't been there yet. And so what ended up happening is like the level of scrutiny, C-level teams. And so like prop tech is interesting because C-level teams are now having conversations about conference rooms and about workstations and about floors and buildings and leases. And real estate has all of a sudden been elevated to a strategic decision about the future of what it means to do work at a company. And is that in-person? Is that remote? Is it mixed? These are like fundamental questions about what it means to have or do teamwork. Um, And space and your decisions around it um, are now being data-driven. So it, it has been, I guess the second thing I'll say briefly is just that, and at the same time, You've got folks saying like, look, nobody's there. So do we really need to be investing in real estate? You have consolidation of real estate. So it's a mixed bag of like extreme interest in the data. And shouldn't we be getting rid of real estate and mass? And I think what we're seeing shake out is these two core things that I mentioned. A, surviving a recession. How can you help really return dollars back to the business? And B, how can you create a critical mass of employees returning to office? And those are the two things
0: that our product focus, focuses on. Okay, and let let's get very practical for uh just a minute here. Okay, so we have this there's an API. It enables for a data team to generate reports to send over to the financials team, to the executives team, to the, the real estate operations team. But what is the actual device mechanism methodology that you're you know, do you have people counting literally people, the You've got badges that everyone has to wear that gets sensed. How does that actually work?
1: Yeah, so uh, we build a radar sensor.
0: It's about yay big. I can show them to you.
1: They they sort of get mounted or installed. Looks like a smoke alarm. Looks like a smoke alarm. Uh, Looks like a wireless access point. Gets mounted like a wireless. That's a more elegant (laughs) display. A wireless access point, and it gets a low-voltage Ethernet cable, so it has power and connectivity. And then we use radar to essentially determine where humans are, meaning we can't pick up gender, age, or ethnicity at the device level. It's not a repurposed camera, which is what most of the sort of people counting technologies use is repurposed, sort of off-the-shelf Chinese cameras. We have sort of a custom radar system that renders a human as a 3D point cloud. And then we use computer vision and machine learning to figure out where's that point cloud going. How long do they linger? Are they at desks or at different configurations? And then when you log into our software, uh, density is much more than an API now. Um, But when you log into our software, you see a floor plan. And you know the Marauder's Map from Harry Potter? I have never seen... Okay. (laughs) So your listeners may know of the Marauder's Map from Harry Potter. And if you've not seen (laughs) Harry Potter, you need to go watch Harry Potter. But... So, you, so Okay, so you open this map, and essentially you can like magically see how humans are using this map. It's like a floor plan inside the school. So it's the same thing, but it like actually works. You have a floor plan, and as people wander through the space, you can see different spaces like light up, um, which allows you to understand which space configurations people are voting with their feet on. And that gives data really valuable data back to the teams that are investing in those very space types.
0: I mean, naturally, I have to wonder then, uh, can you do that by time of day, say, like, by the hour? And then when is the hour that you have found in aggregate people make coffee?
1: Uh, so we can do it down to the minute. Uh, actually, we can do it down to, like, smaller increments than the minute. But I think I think our API supports minute-level interval. So it's, like... If you were to do like just the stream from the device, just the results from our algorithm, and you were just stream that, it would be almost indistinguishable from real time to a human. Like you would like be able to see like full, de- it's really cool. Um, but most of the stuff is around like historical analysis of space use. And so um, you can designate an area of interest that's a cafe and you can label it like coffee and Uh, kombucha and whatever else and then if you select coffee or kombucha as a label it'll light up all the spaces that have that as an amenity and you can look at the utilization of the spaces that have kombucha or coffee like you can A-B test behaviors it's really
0: cool oh that's so cool sorry I didn't take the bait (laughs) I should have I was trying to see I was trying to connect it back to the founding story that's where I was going with this okay so here here's maybe like a philosophical question are you guys a software or a hardware company? We are a reluctant hardware company.
1: Wait, just to be clear, we're a software company that reluctantly builds hardware. So, so there's this very important thing, which is like the infrastructure for understanding how humans use space does not exist in buildings today. We wish it did. Like It would be sick if you could just query Wi-Fi or query badge data or query the lights and get back utilization data. But you can't. And so you have, to, you have to deploy infrastructure that generates data that tells you how humans use space. And when you go out into the open market and you look for stuff, you can't find anything. It's all terrible. It's all crap. So we have reluctantly, in order to solve this very basic problem of knowing how many humans are in a space without having to be there, had to, like, wander through the wilderness of building hardware. And along the way, got really, really good at it. And, and I don't mean that, like, if you ask our hardware team, they'll say, we suck at hardware. If you ask any of our customers, because they have extremely high bars for what it means to be phenomenal, world-class at hardware, like, if you ask our customers, our stuff is, it's like beautiful. Like, you know, they'll do pen tests and they'll like open this stuff up and they'll do destructive testing and their feedback is like, it is so awesome to see sort of custom hardware instead of like off-the-shelf Raspberry Pis and like a bunch of sort of stitched together stuff. So very proud of what we built, and deeply dissatisfied with, uh, with like present state. Like we're we're very we're sort of very impatient to see the future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's very cool, and I I appreciate that. I mean, even you know, I uh, we, we didn't screen that question here, so to speak, of like having an answer for that. But I was very curious because I've talked with a few other prop tech companies that have a mixture of that software and hardware, and Always see, like, there's probably one leaning or the other and knowing that you guys got started on the software spot. But clearly, like, there's some level of hardware required in this mix. Let, let's keep going down the, the path here of, uh, not controversial, but I am going I'm to talk about this. So you're tracking people. I don't know if you've ever heard of Cambridge Analytica, right? This whole, like, data breach with Facebook and how this firm misused data for tracking people and ever since then for from a marketer perspective i've just never gotten away from hearing in the news about how they're going to shut down the ability to track people and how it's bad to track people and this any other and to some degree I, I actually get it i totally understand it but you're tracking people isn't isn't this quite literally a privacy issue so
1: um uh the sh- i mean the short answer on whether or not this is there are important privacy questions is, there are definitely important privacy questions here. Um, I wanna sort of call it a couple things. Um, I believe deeply that when an occupant or a person has a reasonable expectation to privacy, the systems that get deployed nearby them should never invade privacy. And invade privacy is defined as Gender, age, ethnicity—anything that can fingerprint that person, like gait detection—you know, how does somebody walk? Um, You know, is this person at their desk? That is, in my opinion, an incorrect way or incorrect application of technology. Which is why um, systems like ours, like vendors like us, ought to make decisions at the device level or at the at the technology selection level. That that precludes them, literally stops them from ever collecting it in the first place. So most organizations, most vendors in this space, they buy cameras and they market them as sensors. They go, yo, we got a camera. They don't tell anybody they got a camera. They say it's an optical sensor. And then they say, like, we, we sort of like anonymize the data at the edge. It's fully secure. It's fully anonymous. It's anonymous at source. And that is actually, that is, that is factually wrong. Like it's like factually incorrect and it's misleading. What is happening is they are taking photographs of whether or not someone is at their desk. And they call it signs of life. They'll sit, they're literally looking for whether or not there are signs of life, taking photographs of the space. And then they're doing anonymizing either on that device or at a gateway. So like some other computer that's nearby. But ultimately it's still photos of a person. Um, cameras are an easy, that's like the lazy way to solve the problem. Take cameras and apply it to the, to the problem of people in space. The issue is that once you deploy cameras, employees tend to look up. And when they look up and they see a lens, it is, um, it is a recipe for a lawsuit. So um, by choosing to do something that is inherently anonymous at source, you actually can show people what the device sees and their response is, that's sick. Like it's like this little point cloud of like a human mover, and they're stoked about it. And we don't have to apologize for it. And our sales reps don't have to apologize for it. And our customer success, like it's like do stuff where you could just be like, show me what the sensor sees. And it immediately passes the sniff test of whether or not it invades privacy. Now, for spaces where a person does not have a reasonable expectation of privacy, I think a camera is a great solution. You're at a security, get, uh, a security check-in. You know you're at reception. You're at a bank. You're at an airport. These are all places where, like, you don't the occupant doesn't have a reasonable expectation of privacy. They are perfectly comfortable with a camera. You're at your desk. You're in a conference room. You're having a private conversation. You're in a phone booth. Like, there's a camera in the if there's a camera in the corner, it will change your behavior. And so, um, I deeply believe, like. That is a limiting factor on how many buildings you can actually go out and measure. And so, choosing to be anonymous at source is actually an, a really effective distribution mechanism, because it is much easier to deploy ins, into secure facilities when you are anonymous at source, as opposed to having to apologize for the data that you collect. And the reality is that our customers um, they care about the ethics of privacy. But the very big limiter around privacy is not actually the ethics. It's the liability. If you introduce 2,000 cameras into a secure office- Because you'd
0: have to, otherwise you have blind spots. Exactly.
1: If you introduce 52,000 cameras across global offices, that is 52,000 new little liabilities you have introduced into your company. It is not the ethics of privacy that holds the distribution of that type of infrastructure back. It's the legal team. It's the liability that you introduce. So by choosing to be radar, by choosing to be anonymous, it, it really frees us up to be able to deploy into
0: spaces where cameras can't go. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. Though so we're, we're at a spot right now, like bringing people back to the office is a challenge. Some of the most, you know, leading tech, not even prop tech, tech companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, right? These are the companies, even Apple, these are the companies that have been the top aspiration for places to work for you know, a lot of people and they are having a tough time getting people back into the office. I'm having a tough time understanding. I don't know. I want to go in and have a camera pointed at me. I mean, I, I would, I would be a little bit immediately like, hey, this is kind of ridiculous guys. Am I going to do my job or not? Did you hire me and trust me or do you not? Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. If you treat people with respect, like, and you show them respect, they will, they show up better. If you babysit them, they'll act like kids. Like it's pretty straightforward, like we act like kids. So I I guess it's just like, I don't know. Also just do the hard, I don't know, I I may be a bit flippant with this, but just like do the hard, do better as a vendor. Like do the hard work to go figure out how to do something that's actually like net better for the world as opposed to like incidentally distributing a surveillance system that could long-term be used for much more nefarious things. but that's, you know, that's my bias. I am
0: certainly biased. Let's, uh, let's, let's keep going down this path here. I don't like this. So you guys are able to collect quite a bit of information. Um, and uh, I know we haven't gotten into like how that data is consumed. Imagine there's like a dashboard and ability to build some reports and automations there with that. But I'm curious, when you're talking with a new customer, Maybe they have one building. Maybe they've got five across different cities, right? They're going to have a story on what they think is happening, why they think they need you, right? Or maybe they've heard the value prop and they're totally curious, but they still have some narrative in mind. What are companies telling you versus what you're most often discovering? Or what are some of the examples of like, company A told us this, what we really discovered was it was this. The term workplace like the job of workplace
1: has was, was largely came into being in the last half decade, last four to five years. So workplace lead, workplace management, workplace design, workplace technology. This is like a term of art or title that was really introduced in the last four to five years. The issue is that they've never really seen a downturn. I mean, in all honesty, I've never seen a downturn, not while at density, because we were started in 2014 after the 2008 2009 financial crisis. Um, the issue with that is that, like, workplace has largely been focused on experience, cut employee experience, retention, recruitment, amenities, design. Um, these are extremely bright, very thoughtful, well educated folks trying to figure out how to do well by the people that are in office. But for that period, like have not really been held to the same type of dollars and cents numbers that you would usually see out of a real estate team who's like, yo, it cost me X number of dollars per square foot to like implement XYZ thing. Instead, it was like budget that was hard to quantify the value of because it it had a loose feedback system of recruitment and retention. So we are now in a... Per- a global financial correction, and workplace is rapidly getting redefined. Because if workplace cannot make the transition to be able to go from recruitment and retention and sort of employee experience to the dollars and cents of what's actually working and what's not to be able to report into finance teams so that they can help actually consolidate and help the business survive by consolidating costs, and in the same way, uh, or in the process, also improve the critical mass of people coming back to the office. Those roles are going to get eviscerated because it is very hard to justify investing in those types of that type of work when people are not coming back into the office en masse. And so, one of the things that we are really focused on is really trying to be an advocate, both for those workplace teams and for those real estate teams who are making the transition from employee experience to financial reporting. It should be very straightforward to be able to say, this is what it costs us to run these types of investments, and this is how many people are showing up because of it. Like, it is entirely possible workplace teams become indispensable to organizations, both the finance team by reducing costs and... To the core business by bringing people back together. Or workplace teams get eviscerated because they're really hopeful that something hasn't changed. And um, I would say that, that discrepancy, like you can start to see in the industry. And it's one that I think is a really important one to acknowledge and then like
0: action. Uh, it's fascinating you think about like, it's not just even, uh, you know, You talked about a few different challenges that you're helping solve here, but like empowering workplace teams because they do bring a lot of value, especially to companies that place a you know higher level of importance on the culture, and that's something that employees you know it's an intangible. There's not necessarily a set value on that, but you know, spend eight or more hours at a place, I mean, you hope you're not going to hate it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, But I but I think I think. I have this like general... So I was talking to somebody and this is not my idea. Every one of my best ideas is somebody else's. Um, But this one's a really good one. Essentially like teamwork, the concept of teamwork is actually better described as coordination. And coordination is context, prioritization, and sequencing. And so... Having context, shared context, a team that all is working off the same exact context means you are much more likely to prioritize the right things. And then you are much more likely to sequence those priorities in the right order. What ends up happening is that people get, they lose context, right? They, 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 they have bad coordination, bad teamwork because they don't have enough context about what's going on in different teams. Remote and distributed work augments those problems. It like adds fuel to the fire of disconnection between teams. So bringing people back into office is uh, is another way of saying how do we like dramatically improve coordination? Cuz it doesn't take much, right? Like di- distributed work works. But like y- you need humans to be together to deeply trust one another. And so workplace teams can be the saviors of some companies if they can figure out how to like what's driving people back? What's attracting people back to the office? What policies actually work? And then how do we really invest in the things that are going to keep people there once they're there? And a great example of this is we watch a customer who who introduced free food. It brought everybody back, and then they were all leaving at 1 o'clock. So they were showing up at 11, having free food, and then leaving at 1 o'clock. And they're like, what do we do? Like, we need to figure out how to... So what they did is they started looking at the space types that were actually working and, like, keeping people there, and they found that the... um, The primary goal, they they talked to their teams and they looked at their spaces, and the primary goal of everybody who was there was first, (laughs) they wanted the lunch, but then everything after that was, I want to talk to my boss, I'm there to like meet with my team, I'm there because like I need to reconcile some issue I have, Um, I'm there to feel a part of something bigger than myself and my desk at home. All of it was social, and so what they did is they shut off two floors, which dramatically increased the number of, reduced the supply of space, dramatically increased the number of people that were showing up on the remaining two floors, kept the free lunch going. So a bunch of people would show up at 11 and their attendance stayed until 6 p.m. And so like-
0: I was going to add free dinner. Like that would have been my- (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing is like, we've got another customer who charges for lunch, charges for breakfast. Their attendance rates are excellent. Usually people are spending six hours at the office when they come. Now, utilization rates are lower, but my, my point is like it isn't a one-size-fits-all solution. And and figuring out what works for a culture is actually this, this – this having hard data on what's actually working allows you to like run different experiments that's based on the, the culture and then see the output or throughput in days. I mean we're talking about like transitions that are happening. We watched one organization consolidate – Several floors, and then their overall attendance jumped by like eighteen percent, and it was because people felt more energy being close to one another inside of fewer spaces. Like this isn't
0: crazy. I don't know if you've ever been to a school dance?
1: <laughs> I mean, yes,
0: I have a long time right. ago. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know what yours were like. Ours were, eh. because they would put them in this giant gymnasium, Mm-hmm. right, and then filter in kind of stay on the outside got a few crazy ones in the middle and that was about it then in the summertime we would the 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 pool there was was a pool that would do teen nights of course we don't have anything else better to do so go to that
1: but they only had a pavilion the pavilion was
0: pretty small and I can go back and think about the experience in the pavilion compare it to a very popular bar it was shoulder to shoulder. When you're when someone else is jumping, you're either just getting jumped on or you're jumping with them kind of thing, right? And I actually could think immediately back to that, like what you're talking about, the energy level. The energy level in the school dances was pretty drab because it was just like – it was so separated. It was awkward. I mean, yeah. we were awkward anyway in high school, right? But, but teen nights felt – Live, it felt very high energy because and it's kind of similar concept. I just never made that connection. You know, we were just in, in a smaller, much smaller pavilion, but probably about as many as many people.
1: What's exciting is that like we've built so in the US offices make up 17% of commercial real estate. Um there's ten point nine billion square feet of commercial office space in the US. 4.4 billion of that was vacant but paid for pre-pandemic. 4.4 billion—it's worth a trillion dollars in the U.S. Offices make up about 17% of of uh, commercial real estate in the U.S. That means that there's about 70 billion square feet of commercial commercial office space, or I'm sorry, of uh, commercial space. Globally, that number is about 700 billion. So, this is commercial space globally is about 700 billion. If you add in residential, you're looking at nearly four trillion square feet of space. We we're like it's like we built a giant ant hill or farm, and like we have no idea how it's used. We just keep building and expanding and changing. You know, like there isn't a larger asset class in the world whose performance we don't measure. So I guess my point is like the technology now exists today, and we're not the only ones. But the technology now exists today to run the very experiment you just said. Draw a smaller box, like put some Kool-Aid in, and like see what happens.
0: You need to create the teacher's guide, the, the the school administrator's guide to hosting an energetic and lively school <laughs> dance.
1: <laughs> it's why we started. The, yeah, exactly. Like we're going to terminate it, you know, high school dances. <laughs>
0: All right, I want to keep us moving here. I'm going to switch up a little bit. I want to talk about how you guys are getting adoption because there's lots of cool products out there that don't get adoption. But you guys, you found a way to do it. Obviously, on your initial announcement of what you were working on, there was a clear appetite from the market of please you know, shut up and take my money, if you will. Getting several thousand emails off an announcement um, is not normal, right? So there's something there. So maybe walk me through here a little bit We talked a little bit about companies, we've talked about buildings. Who really is though the primary customer? Is it the building owner or the company?
1: Yeah, so we focus on the occupiers of a building. Um, So those are the companies that are inside the space. Now, we work with another a a bunch of folks that are channel partners who help distribute this stuff, but our, our end customers really, the people that get value are the occupiers. I believe there's value to property owners, like long-term, but in the near term, like our primary focus are people that are sort of operating uh, offices and the the core buyer is a VP of real estate or a head of workplace. Um, and they are usually buying because they need to understand this asset called a building or an office. And they're usually reporting into COO, CFO, or sometimes head of people on
0: essentially what do they need. That's kind of great because, you know, this is, you know, to some degree, is enterprise level type solution, and your buyer is also the user, which, and/or directly oversees the team of those using. And I think that's actually a little bit of a deviation from a lot of other products that fall into this category, where like the finance team wants it because it's supposed to provide, you know, it'll find hidden expenses. But on the ground, it's the manage, like the property manager or the on-site manager, who's going to be using it day to day and is responsible. For and you have a misalignment of incentives or drivers to to move that i'm curious about the sales cycle is is this a very complicated sales cycle or has the the need for this been so well articulated and now especially with the pandemic really putting a highlight or spotlight if you will on some of the challenges around managing office space and people movement has that done enough to like kind of accelerate that sales cycle and simplify it
1: yeah um when you are putting physical objects that require power into a building, the complexity is very similar to wireless access points. So um, not um, not pure software, right? You're not just like, let's just buy another seat. It's not that simple. Um, it is also not installing um, uh, a, a power grid. We're using low voltage ethernet, um that is going back to an idf closet that's connected to a radar unit you know it just so happens not to be a wi-fi unit it's it's radar and so the the motion is very very similar to existing technologies inside of offices that's actually one of the reasons offices are a great customer it's because they have kind of centralized management centralized control of these types of things like network and security and power and so forth um but it's not it's not zero uh, sales cycle takes time. And I would say that the biggest item around uh, selling this particular product into large corporate offices and workplace is that we don't replace an existing thing. So there's not an existing measurement system mm. inside buildings. And that is both the challenge and the opportunity. Right. Um, we are talking about hundreds of millions, billions of square feet of space, without an existing infrastructure that measures how humans use space, which means that with a customer, uh, it's all greenfield, right? It's like brand new that you could go deploy, but it's also a new category. Like it's, it's not like, hey, let me just pull from my utilization budget. It's, hey, like let's talk about what happens when all of a sudden you have perfect data on 25 million square feet of space. What would you do differently is an extremely exciting conversation and it affects everything it affects energy use, it affects allocation of space to teams, it affects the design of space, it affects how many materials you have to use in a building, it affects like what you keep online and what you you turn off, what you allow to to expire. I mean, it affects everything. Um but you got to start with measurement before you can improve the space.
0: I'd be interested if Planet Fitness or like Gold's Gym would, yeah would would do this and then you said you can like label the machines. <laughs> Fine. Find out what is just for show. What's the thing that you just need to put in the window that gets people in that no one uses?
1: Um, Wait a second. Can we stop on this for a second? Like, you're half joking, but, like, what you just said can happen today. Like, Like, you literally just need to, like, measure the space and then, like, draw a little bounding box and say this is a stair stepper and then do that for, like, all the different spaces and it'll just produce... This is what's successful and this is what's not. Get rid of what's not. Mm. And that is like when people wrap their arms around, holy shit, like I can just know if this setup is working and I don't have to observe it. I don't have to ask anybody. I just know. Like that is a profound shift when it talks about physical space. Um, And the best, do you like science fiction?
0: I once helped a science fiction author with the launch of a nonfiction book. That's about as close as I get. All right. All right. So I still think this will relate. Uh, I really
1: like science fiction. For those who like science fiction, but also I think this will relate. You know in like a sci-fi movie when a doctor is like walking down a hallway and like the lights behind, the lights as she like goes to the next grid, the light turns on and then the light behind her turns off. Okay. Yep. You know, and you're walking down a hallway and it's like the lights are turning. It's very ominous and kind of cool looking. Yep. That's not possible today. So so the way that that works, what what, what that would require is the grid to be aware of where the human is. That's not how it works today. So today we have motion detectors, which essentially when you walk underneath, the light turns on because it saw motion. Yes. But then a clock starts, and you know this, everybody knows this, a clock starts and it counts down from two minutes or five minutes or ten minutes or whatever before it turns the lights off. Well, today... With like, well, now with a radar system or whatever, you have those things, same exact thing. You walk that same grid. The lights right behind the person will turn off as soon as they disappear. From That's very view. cool. So like, it's like these, these very simple
0: concepts that we imagine. So the motion lights that turn off when you walk into a room and because you're sitting there and you're, and then you have to like, wait. would stay on.
1: Exactly. This goes away. This is like never a thing anymore because it knows that there's a human. There. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. Um all right, Andrew, we're gonna we're gonna keep moving here. I'm gonna jump to the the last two segments of the show. We have I feel like there's a lot of different rabbit holes I could go down with some interesting ideas here. Um we're gonna jump to a game I like to call for the future. For the future is a segment when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Andrew, are you ready to play? Yes. Let's do it. Question number one, what does density look like one year from now?
1: Density will be a way to manage and measure um, any of the square footage that you have in a portfolio. Um, We'll probably be approximately the same size. We'll still be manufacturing hardware, and the vast majority
0: of the value will be coming from the software that we build. Question number two, three years from now, you're asked to describe the role of either a workplace management team or a real estate team. How do you describe it? Those
1: teams have historically been seen as service providers to the business. So a business will say, I need X number of seats. I need Y number of conference rooms. I need fill in the blank. And those teams' job is to go off and like get that stuff for them. In three years, I think we will have fully transitioned where the real estate and workplace teams are going to be able to say, "Um, you don't need those things because you don't use them. Here's what you do use, and here's what's successful. So we're going to go make you this, if that's what you'd like. Um, And that is a very different change where real estate and workplace becomes a strategic partner to the business, not just a service provider based on the business need or business ask.
0: Number three here, what's one industry trend you think will continue but you wish would go away? I have two. The first is,
1: I believe that the next um, trend, like the next big trend will continue to be the way that people make decisions about what to invest in or spend time on. So when it's metaverse, we're talking about digital twins. When it's uh, lead, you know, lead Platinum, back in the years, it was sort of all, like, energy costs. Um, when it was um, the smart building, you know, it's like you couldn't get away from beacons. Where it was like this concept where, like, the, 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 the hot topic of the day dictated how we made decisions. Instead of just solving the fundamental problem like what are the fundamental problems we can solve with technology Um, what are the things that are not going to change what are the things that are going to remain exactly the same between now and like the you know the future of humanity and like if we continue to i'll give you an example if we continue to exist as as humans in a large enough number we will continue to have buildings there is no future that is not cataclysmic (laughs) there's no future um where humans stop building or using buildings, which means that there is no future in which humans don't eventually inevitably figure out how it's all used. Um, And investing in those things that are not going to change, I feel like is something I I guess I'd love to see more of instead of just investing in the next new trend. So that's one. And number two is um, not all sensors are created equal. And I, and I am saying this uh, I'm going to try to set aside my bias for a second. This is not about density sensors. This is just generally as like a PSA. Not all cameras are created equal. Not all sensors are created equal. Sensors has been this commoditized terminology that, that refers to actually hundreds of different things. And the problem with that is that people don't understand the consequences of different technological selection. And so what I think we need to start talking about, and I, I don't know if this... I'm hopeful that this will change, um, but I'm not entirely sure it will, is that we stop talking about like the, the technologies that are like going to derive the data and we start talking about the outcomes. What are we trying to measure? What's the square footage we're trying to measure? What are we trying to understand? What happens once we understand that? If we start talking about those things, the, the, the sensors become equipment, right? Like Wi-Fi, nobody at Wi-Fi is ever talking about the routers. They're talking about the speeds that
0: you get Access to the internet. You know what I mean? Which enable different functions. Love it. Last one on For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I think that offices are going to get
1: rezoned for residential. I think workplace is going to become encompassing of your home office. um, And it will include paying for your internet after a certain amount of time. Um, I, I think... WeWork was right uh, and wrong with their timing. Um, We are going to see way more of this sort of flexible model that you can jump into a fully furnished space that gives you this type of thing for a period of time in a particular city. Um, And I I am convinced that the pandemic was a shock to the system in real estate that is uh, fundamentally very good for the industry. Um, We are reevaluating the purpose of place and that's an extremely exciting thing because it means we can ask the fundamental questions of like why the hell do we get together in the first place and what can we do to make that more compelling, more interesting, more useful, more productive
0: um, and those I think are generally very good for everybody very cool Andrew last few questions these are so our listeners get to know you just a little bit better. first one what are you reading i've been I've been bouncing between a couple things
1: um the one that's related to Our discussion is a a cool book by Stuart Brand called How Buildings Learn. Um, uh, It actually talks about how like the design and construction of certain architecture, um, like the MIT Media Lab was actually like really terribly designed for collaboration and yet people continue to repurpose the MIT Media Lab for like remarkable outcomes. And so it sort of talks about how like the culture of the people in the place matter more than the place itself. but, but that's a cool book. Um, uh, recently finished a book about, uh, uh, sulfa drugs and like the, it's called the demon under the microscope. It talks about like the tracks, the history of, um, of, uh, antibiotics. Um, oh, okay. That, that was interesting. Um, and I'm reading Shantaram or Shantaram. Um, which is now like an Apple TV thing. Um, it's a cool book about this Australian. It's um, it's a fictional book.
0: I think that's like the third like movie or entertainment thing that you've said. I just, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> sorry, I don't know. I'm, Deer I'm, in I'm a still, Headlight. No, it's cool. It's a, it's a um, it's about a it's about a, a Australian guy who like breaks out of prison and then finds his way to like uh to to um India. And it's like his crazy life once there. It's a really, um, it's a really lovely book. It's extremely well-written. Um, so anyway, I've been bouncing around between sort of like technology history and <laughs> uh, crazy, crazy travel books. I dig it. Number two, who are you learning from? There's like a loose federation of like founders, other founders that are just immensely helpful uh, in thinking about like next stage or frameworks for thinking and frameworks for work. I also find that like uh, hierarchical organizational design is um, can be very limiting after a certain scale, and so figuring out how to like create really high quality communication with the folks who are actually on the ground with a customer dealing with a problem that involves installation is an immensely valuable, high bandwidth sort of uh, input for learning. Um, And so just, like, doing more hands-on work as the business grows um, is, like, a really – is something I'm spending a lot of time on. Uh, So my own teammates maybe is the short answer. Um, Yeah. um, I I think also, like, if if you're, like, deeply ambitious, um, then uh, you, like, can't achieve that ambition unless you are also willing to, like – acknowledge when you're really wrong and so like that takes humility and that takes like patience and the humility to learn from like as many humans as humanly possible feels to
0: me like a really important thing all right final question here for you what inspires you
1: i am deeply moved when i see the outcomes of large coordinated teams that sounds like really dumb but like i remember when And this is not about, like, this is not about the CEO. This is just about the team that was behind this, um, generally. But I remember when the Falcon 9 landed, the booster landed for the first time after, you know, the the rocket from SpaceX took, you know, up a, you know, a a satellite. Uh, It may have been a test, but took up a satellite, and then the booster came back down and landed. And it was like... I can even feel it now, like on the back of my neck, like the collective just roar that came from the engineers and team and ops folks who all made that happen was deeply moving to me. And whenever I see like large groups of people organized around a common cause that is hard and worthwhile and ambitious and like it works, it's deeply moving and deeply motivating to me.
0: That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Andrew, this has been really fun and in all honesty I've never talked about office and actually enjoyed it this much um, oh no, nice So it's great i think i think what you guys are working on is is really fascinating i think i could i was thinking of multiple use case scenarios somewhere in here there's a way to like figure out tracking of the McDonald's ice cream machine repairman and like matching that with other patterns within McDonald's that tracks how and why it breaks but that's a whole discussion for another day. Uh, before we close out, people want to get in touch with you and learn more about Density. Where do they go? How do they do that? Uh, you can shoot me an email, just
1: Andrew at density.io. Um And if you're interested in the software and you want to talk to some of our product folks, just Atlas at density.io. Um
0: And I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. There it is. Awesome. We'll see you around. Thanks, Nate. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com/newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.